the Ring Magazine and the WBA Super, I think. What's he doing here? I don't care about strong. I have that skill. And he threw them down. Yeah, Why? Okay. You're not strong. I'm not sure his team understood it. Let's do the I had character. Okay. Let's do the character. 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 Let's do the I was going to jail, I see some hype little youths in Reading jail. I got bail and I started training my ass off. Because if I got sentenced, I wanted to be able to fight. I bust my case. My cousin Benga, where's he at? G14, raise your hand! I'm upset, really, like, deep down in my heart. Oh. Hey Sunday people, so this is somewhat unexpected and unusual but as always, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where, <sighs> where the hell do I start, where do I start, where do I start, <laughs> all those years we complained pay-per-view doesn't give us anything, if you paid your 25 quid for this or whatever it was, you definitely got your money's worth, right? You've definitely got your money's worth because that's what you call a moment. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about moments and people get bored of it. But what you saw last night was a moment. And it's it's hard to put my thoughts into any structure because 101 things are going through my mind just because so much happened. But what we should focus on first is the fight because the real winner last night was Alexander Usyk. And if we don't talk about him in the context of the fight, I don't think we've done justice to what happened on Saturday night but what we can also then do is talk about all the stuff that you guys are absolutely in love with at the moment now here are the issues I really have with all of this and I felt like this in fight week I felt boxing has become this weird circus and every side has to have their tub thumpers and their their drum bangers and you mean their their fanboys right and look the only one who showed any kind of reason was Johnny Nelson. And Johnny Nelson knew what he was doing all fight week. And he touched on some of the things that drove the engagement, drove the fans. But there were other people, like the little guy. You, you, it, we, well, no names. Little guy was on talk sport who, who was biased. And he's biased because he's known AJ his whole boxing career. And that's fair enough. But they were coming out talking all kinds of nonsense. And what that nonsense does is it, it paralyzes people. And it hoodwinks people and it shapes your perception of a fight. And people like to think that the conclusions they draw about a boxing bout are solely down to what they know. And it's not true. You're programmed. A lot of stuff you've heard about what happened on Saturday night has been programmed into you. And now you believe it. So I'll, I'll go on record and say this. There was nothing different between fight number one and fight number two, apart from the fact that that guy's at Glenn Feldman, Steve White, whoever it was, that judge on Saturday night, messed up. Giving, give, giving it to Joshua by two rounds was an absolute disgrace. Had, had that not happened, you'd have had a virtually identical scorecards to the first fight. Because if you remember, the first fight was interesting until rounds 10, 11, 12, where Usyk just ran away with it. And that was reflected in the scorecards. If you assume Usyk won the last three rounds in the first fight, he was behind going into round 10, right? He was behind going into round 10 and he swung it around. So in this fight, if you look at the scorecards, Usyk was behind on two of them and he turned it around and he was ahead on one. So going into the 10th round in both fights, Usyk hasn't really been that far in front, if at all. So what was different this time? No, nothing. You knew Usyk would go hard in the stretch. He does in every fight. That's what Usyk does. He puts, he puts his foot down in those last three rounds and he shows the champion's heart and gets the job done. 
We knew that after the first fight. We knew that after the World Boxing Super Series. If we know that as fans, what did Team Joshua know? So anyone that tries to tell me Joshua was better in the second fight, you have to show me in relation to the first fight when, why, and how. He wasn't. Now, were they different tactics in the fight? 100%. So if you look at the first fight, Joshua was just on the one-twos, right? That's what Joshua worked. He tried to work the one-twos and he tried to do the classic orthodox versus southpaw thing. And he had a lot of success with that. Look at Usyk's face after the first fight. So in the second fight, the tactics looked like try and bully him, rough him up and throw heavier shots. Now, the thing about heavier shots is he could have just stuck to what he did in the first fight and throw with a lot more intensity and ferocity, throw the same shots, just throw them harder. But he ditched that and he came with a completely different approach, which wasn't going to work because it was harder on him physically. And so round after round, you saw Joshua looking for the opportunity to throw that big right hook, like Carl Froch used to do. Right? And, but Froch used to do it successfully because Froch knew the right points in the fight to do it and Froch always followed up. The theme of this fight was Joshua's inability to follow up when he had Usyk hurt. And he only did it in the ninth round, but by that point, everyone knows Joshua's gas tank's done. And if that sustained attack doesn't work, you're not going to get anything else out of him. And it didn't work. And when they showed the replays, a lot of those shots actually missed or caught Usyk's gloves. Usyk wasn't in the trouble we thought he was in. He just had to weather a storm. And you knew Usyk wasn't in trouble because then he said, all right, round 10, 11, 12 are mine. And he imposed himself. Right? So first fight versus second fight, let's, we can agree on this. Usyk won the last three rounds on both, on both nights. He won, he won all three rounds. We can also agree that the, the scorecard for Joshua was off and really that should have probably been 115, 113 Usyk or 116, 112. And if that's the case, there's not much difference in the fights. Joshua wasn't closer. It's not like Joshua was miles out in the first fight. This is a mistake people make. Joshua fought pretty well in the first fight. It's just that there's a way to beat Usyk and you either have that way or you don't. And Joshua doesn't have that way. It's not who he is. We talk about this a lot in boxing, the idea of a nemesis. No matter what Ali did, no matter how smart Ali got, Joe Frazier was always his nemesis. Ken Norton was always his nemesis. But you got the impression that he'd always beat George Foreman. If you look at George Groves, Carl Froch was his nemesis. I don't think there's a world in which George could beat Carl Froch. Not because he ain't good enough, just that's your nemesis. James DeGale's nemesis was George Groves. It didn't matter what James DeGale did. George was the problem. And so you see this a lot in boxing. People just have their nemesis. There's just a guy that you can't figure out. There's just something about them that doesn't work with you. It doesn't gel. And that's okay. And so I look at Joshua's performance and I say, that's not a bad performance. In fight one or fight two, it's not a bad performance. My question back is, why did you throw the kitchen sink out after the first fight instead of going... Fight number one wasn't that bad. For fight number two, we just need to get back in those same positions, throw harder shots, and a few more of them. And instead, what you saw in this one was, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> I have no idea how to describe it. I really don't. So as I'm watching the fight, I realized Josh was confused because in his head, he's saying, I can hit Usyk with the stuff I hit him with in the last fight, but I've been told that I need to focus on the body now. But the head is there. What do I do? Which shot do I take? And he looked caught between two tactical plans. Does he take the shot that he sees in the ring or does he take the shot that Roberto Garcia has told him to take? And as I'm watching this, that confusion is kind of what gave Usyk confidence because he could see that... Because, look, Usyk's a good enough fighter to know when he's in a bad position. And normally, like, when you're in the ring with guys and you're in a bad position, you're expecting to get punished for it. And when you don't get punished for it, you kind of smile to yourself and go, whew, got away with that one. And there was a lot of that in the second fight. So, 
does this mean that what Joshua was doing was wrong? Not necessarily. I thought the, the sweeping shots were good because what it meant was you could keep Usyk where you wanted him. But you can't just throw one big sweeping right hook and then nothing. That has to be the precursor to something. And like I said, we didn't see that, that continuity of attack until the ninth round. But by then it's like, oh, what are you doing? So nominally, Joshua had the size and the strength and he looked in better shape. So I think he was four pounds or four and a half pounds heavier in this fight than he was the previous fight. Usyk came in roughly the same weight. There's probably a quarter pound difference. So Joshua's coming bigger and stronger. He's coming to be the bully. He wasn't the bully. He, if you took Mikey Garcia, made him a little gun shy and made him 17 stone three or whatever it was, you would have got that same performance. There's just this real confusion of what I've been told to do in camp doesn't feel like what I should be doing right now. And there was no dialogue in there to say, guys, do we need to change anything? In fact, the corner work looked like chaos. How have you got two head trainers in the corner talking to you? Whose game plan is it? Who's marshalling the game plan? Who's marshalling the psychology? It just looked like chaos. And you've got Garcia telling Joshua he's winning. What was it? You're three rounds up. Well, probably on Glenn Feldman's scorecard, I wouldn't be surprised. He probably wrote that out yesterday or the day before. I forget what day it is. So you're looking at it and you're like, this is absolute chaos. This is the definition of over-engineering what is a relatively simple problem. Alexander Usyk is a problem Rob McCracken could have solved. No one has seen Usyk more than McCracken. He has performance analysts that had to look at McCracken. They have video galore of Usyk. They have seen Usyk. They know what Usyk does. McCracken will know this. So I don't understand the logic in getting rid of McCracken and keeping the rest of the problem children. It, it, it defied logic to me. And in that fight, it all looked very, very muddled. Do you know what? In boxing, like we, we, we have a dictionary of BS, utter tripe, rubbish, nonsense that gets spouted out by people who should know better. And it's expressions like, effective aggression and educated pressure right these things don't actually exist by the way boxing's a game of punches landed punches missed that is it yeah if there are no punches being thrown there is no pressure you can stand in front of me as long as you want if you're not throwing shots you're not a threat and I wish people would understand that because you kept hearing this a lot educated pressure mate is proper on it and you're like, what? Just throw the shots. The pressure Usyk needs is that thing of, I can't breathe. And in that ninth round, that's the first time Joshua pulled him beneath the water level and said, can you still breathe? And Usyk said, God, I need that bell. And I remember thinking to myself, if Joshua doesn't finish this, Usyk's going to spank him in round 10 because that's the sort of man Usyk is. And that's what elite fighters do that's what elite athletes do anyone can come alive in the first half of a game football rugby whatever anyone can come alive in the first set of a tennis match anyone can come alive in the first nine holes of a golf tournament it's a rare character that can increase the pressure down the stretch from when they're behind till they're in front and then once they're in front hit the accelerator again Usyk showed what being elite is about no bulging biceps, no Lucasade commercials, no motivational quotes, no bonhomie with Coogan Cassius and all the other IFL people, none of that, no fist pumps with Eddie Hearn. Usyk showed that elite level athletes put their foot down when no one else can. Like Fury did. Remember, Fury got up. Yeah. Final round against Wilder. He got up and Deering came back to, to beat up Wilder. They remember that third fight when he was under pressure and he got Wilder out of there. This is what elite guys do. And I'm going to tell you this now. It's not something you can coach. It's something you build over years and pressure and stress and challenge and desire. You have to want to be that guy. 
you have to be that guy like Michael Jordan who's like, give me the ball when it's fourth quarter. You have to be a guy like Walter Payton, a guy like Barry Sanders, a guy like Emmett Smith who's like, give me the ball when it's first down. Not first down, fourth down, I should say. Give me that ball, I'll get you another 10. You want to be that guy like Tom Brady who can march his team down into the end zone in 25 seconds. That's who you want to be. I don't think we saw that from Joshua. Joshua genuinely believes if he builds everything around himself, that's enough. No. <laughs> Greatness comes from within. You need to build yourself up so that you are great. That's what Usyk's done. It's what Ali did before him. It's what all the greats do. And yesterday, you didn't see that. You saw a competent athlete with every conceivable advantage. Every advantage. And you saw him struggle. But in his defense, you saw Usyk struggle. And I know a lot of people are going to challenge this and go, I don't know what I'm talking about. You saw Usyk struggle. And I think there are a number of reasons why Usyk wasn't as imperious as he was in the first fight. Not to say that he was bad, he wasn't. But he wasn't the guy he was in the first fight. A lot of people say that's down to Joshua. I don't think it is. I think there are a number of interesting factors why Usyk may not have performed in a manner that we would have expected. So if number one is, there's a war in your country. And I don't know what the Usyk family footprint is in Ukraine, but I imagine he has family who are affected and he has family who are fighting. That's not easy. It's not easy to have to engage in that process because it doesn't go away because you're training. I'm sure Usyk's family is safe, like his immediate family, his wife and his kids, but they're still cousins and they're uncles, they're guys you grew up with, they're friends. It's real. And those things, they chip away at you. No matter how strong you are, they eat away at you. Then look at the fact that Usyk's done it. He's already beaten Joshua. What's his incentive to fight the guy again? He, he's not going to prove anything by beating him twice. It's just a good payday and a chance to fight Fury. So you lose a bit of that, that fire that you had in the beginning, because in the beginning it was like, these are my first heavyweight belts. Now it's like, ah, eh, it's a defense. And he did well to keep his motivation levels high against someone who was hungry and desperate to win. And then you also have to look at the temperature. Like you're fighting in Saudi in, in an indoor arena. And I know they'll talk about it, there's air con, but still the atmospherics are all wrong. When I think when Joshua fought Ruiz, they fought, was it an outdoor arena in December? And so Joshua could perform better. I, I wouldn't want to be 17 stone something in Saudi at this time of year. And I'm sure Joshua will regret that. that a lot of sweat was being expended by a lot of people. The ring canvas was an absolute menace. There were a lot of things that were wrong with that. And that probably affected Usyk too. So what you ended up with was not the White Hart Lane Usyk, but an Usyk who was prepared to do whatever it took to hang on to, hang on to his titles. And you saw this time that he wasn't as beat up as he was in the last fight. That's the biggest indictment of Anthony Joshua's whole approach here. He did less damage in the second fight after all of that upheaval and nonsense than he did in the first fight. So by the end of the 12th round, there kind of been anyone sat there going, yeah, I had Joshua winning. Even traditional match from allies at Bell, you had Joshua losing. It was, this was an easy one to say Joshua didn't win that one. And like I had to endure the Sky commentary, which is atrocious, by the way, because they literally went from tub thumping hard for Joshua to then just ignoring him and going, yeah, Usyk's amazing. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we ever doubted him. You know, it's almost like they remembered that Joshua wasn't with them anymore. And they're just like, ah, who cares? He's, he's Eddie's problem now. He's the zone's problem now. We don't need him anymore. He's, he's not the guy we thought he was, which is, it was bad form, but it, you know, the idea that these people are friends or they're allies is nonsense. At the end of the day, it's business and business is competitive and ruthless. But at the end of that fight, no one had any doubt that Usyk had won. Now, in my head, I thought they'd rob him. And I said, this would be the grandest robbery in boxing history if they pull this off. And I, I almost dared them to pull it off. And they tried with Glenn Feldman. They, you know, even Steve Gray gave a fair card, although I still would have had it 116, 112. I can't see how Joshua won more than four rounds. And if someone can explain in real terms that I can watch and review myself, then please do. But I didn't have that. So Joshua, 
<laughs> um, <laughs> God, all hell broke loose, didn't it, after that fight? Wow. Um, <laughs> I was buzzing when when I saw what was happening. Now, I'm almost going to try and replay this from memory. There seemed to be a commotion on the far side of the ring, so the bit that's away from the hard camera. And I, I guess only the people close by know what Joshua was saying to Usyk's camp. But it's almost like Usyk's team was celebrating the win and Joshua was like, what do you mean you've won? You haven't won. I won that. And so they get into a, a shouting match. Obviously, these Ukrainian guys have probably just come fresh out of Luhansk. And they're like, mate, we're fighting Russians. We'll fight you for, for free, man. This doesn't bother us. And so the only voice of reason in all of Joshua's camp, Benga, does the right thing, marshals Joshua out. But you can see Joshua's agitated and you don't understand where this has come from. And so Joshua storms out the ring. And he's still talking and he's still shouting and he's still fuming as he's heading out the ring. So, so as Joshua's marching out and he has no intention of coming back, someone has said to Joshua, mate, if you don't do this, you don't get paid your full purse. It's like someone said that to him, right? And he was like, okay, but I'm going to go and do it my way. That, it, and he walked back with a purpose, like, okay, I'm going to do this my way. And I don't know what sequence these things happen because I, I'm trying to remember it. But there was a point where Josh was holding the ring belt, and I think it's a WBA belt. I might be wrong on that. And he's holding those belts in the air. And he throws them down. And what did he go? Didn't he just go, fuck the fucking belts? Fuck these belts. Who needs them? Something like that. They were the words he said. And he may have spat on the belts afterwards as well. Which... So it's, at this point, none of this makes any sense, right? This, I don't believe that there's a version of Anthony Joshua anyone has seen where you'd expect this to happen. Right? You're like, no, no, this isn't Femi. This isn't Anthony Joshua. This isn't what he normally does. So when Joshua gets back in the ring, he confronts Usyk and he goes, how did you win? Skills. You're not strong. How did you win? Skills. And he's like, but I've got character. And he's ranting and raving. And, and to give Usyk his due, Usyk's just like, yo, man, come on, man. Let's, let's be professional here. You know what I mean? Like, we've had a good fight. We've had two good fights. Let's be professional here. Usyk's almost trying to preserve the value of Joshua. Then Joshua's like, where's the mic? Give me the mic. And then we go into... I, I don't even know what to say. Maybe the most bizarre speech in victory or defeat that I've seen, like, you know, we, we look back on the Mike Tyson one, like, you know, the Daryl Baum speech, I had to bury my best friend, I love him, you know, oh, man, what? You know, but you can understand that because Mike won. It's not like Mike lost. And, you know, you go back to when Tyson lost to Holyfield when he bit the ear. Even then, that wasn't as insane as what we saw with Joshua. It just... None of it made any sense. So, so he, he goes and he tells us his life story, which, <laughs> right. So what was it he said? Um, if you know my story, you'll know I ain't no amateur boxer. Yeah, okay. But you're an Olympic gold medalist. So are you telling us that that medal was bought? Which is it's generally the suspicion, right? Because he shouldn't have beaten Savon, nor should he have beaten Camarelli. And I'm sure there's a couple of other guys that, it looked like knockovers. So is that what Josh was saying? The, the belt was bought from? Okay, fine. But the fact is you won an Olympic gold medal and on paper you beat people who are very talented. You can't keep hiding behind this, I wasn't there from five years old because you told us what you did is a miracle. That's what you, you lived off that. I, I didn't do this from five years old, man. I took this up at 18. And then he's talking about, yeah, he was in the streets. He went to jail, went to Reading jail. He was on remand for like two weeks. And if I'm right, like normally two weeks, you're on the introductory wing anyway. They don't put you in like general population. Do you know what I mean? And you're on remand, like you're not sentenced. So you, you don't get to associate with the real people in Reading Jail. And 
People say, how do you know about Reading Jail? My friend Ben Mills hung himself in Reading. God, God bless Ben Mills, man. Hung himself at 17 years old. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we had two solid years of friendship. He got arrested the first time they sent him to Reading and he wasn't ready for that. And he hung himself. And he hung himself because he was really in there and he realized he was out of his depth. Joshua lives off this thing. Like he wasn't there. And so things like that will offend me personally because like I said, I've got friends like Ben who hung themselves and other friends who went to Reading. I know a lot of the guys that were in and out of Reading in my generation. So Joshua's not one of those guys. So you can talk about you bust case. Um, did you? Or did someone pull some strings for you? So you can try and tell the public as much as you want, and that's okay, but you've, we've heard the story long enough, and we've had guys like Porky dissect the story, so we know that it's hollow. It's hollow. The Meridian Estate in Watford, where Joshua's from, it's, it's nowhere near what the Alton is. It's nowhere near what Angeltown would have been. It's nowhere near what the Ferrier would have been at its peak. They're not talking about putting, what, 40 million quid into redeveloping Meridian. And when you talk to kids who grew up on the Meridian, it's not a bad estate. You might have a kid selling a bit of weed here and there and a couple of fights at the shops and stuff. How is that different from anywhere else? How is that different from Skermsdale? I mean, how is that different from Runcorn? It's not. And so even in defeat, even in his most chaotic moments, Joshua can't avoid, he can't, he can't let go of this desire to be accepted as a tough guy. That's what I didn't understand. He, he can't let go of this desire to be accepted as a tough guy. And so the speech turns into, I'm begging for sympathy, into then, for Usyk to beat me, he must have been good. Uh, duh, he won an Olympic gold medal when you did. And he was in that ring with you and he beat you the first time. So where's the surprise factor there? Like, what, what, did you suddenly grow an extra six pairs of arms, Joshua, and now you're, you're like octopus Femi? No. He beat you because he's better than you. And it's okay to accept that. It's okay to accept that. It's okay that you don't throw combinations. And that's another thing you moaned about, that he's not Rocky Marciano, he's, four, he's not 14 stone, he's 18 stone, it's hard. Mate, you signed up for this. You weren't complaining when you were making millions. You weren't complaining when you held the belts hostage. You weren't complaining when you were trying to make people at Wilder dance to your tune. When we wanted Undisputed and you were just dragging it out. And now you want the public sympathy. Yet, all the things we ask for, Undisputed, just fight people that we think are serious threats. If you really care about the fans, please do that. He didn't. And he's there stealing Usyk's limelight. He's stealing Usyk's moment. This is where Usyk cements himself at the top of that pile now. And Joshua had to do it, like I said, reminiscent of when Hulk Hogan couldn't let Ultimate Warrior have that moment in WrestleMania 6. Wouldn't let him have that moment because Hogan must pose, brother. And Joshua did that. And it didn't help elevate Usyk. It just made everything look like a bit of a disaster. And if you're the Saudis, because if I'm correct, swearing in Saudi is a criminal offense. The Saudis are going, what the hell happened here? I hope the Saudis now say we're not carrying these risks on our balance sheet again because there's not enough control over the, these idiots' behavior. And you know, I nearly forgot the bit where Joshua became a, a geopolitical expert and a history of the Eastern European region. You know, it was just a car crash. And, and I'm torn, right? Because in my head, I'm like, well, they, they, they were bored of media-trained Femi. Here's non-media-trained Femi. But then you get non-media-trained Femi, and you just got your head in your hands going, oh, my God. And what you're seeing is, and I guess this is my, my corporate mindset. Oh God. God, that reminds me. But with my corporate head on, I know. Unilever, Procter & Gamble, whoever he's with, Land Rover, Jaguar Land Rover, um, Hugo Boss, Google, all of these guys, MDs are like, isn't this your guy going absolutely crazy? Is this what he's like every day? 
And those guys are sat going, I hope this story dies by Monday because this is going to get really uncomfortable. And it would be unfair on AJ because not one of his sponsors has ever complained about a missed appointment or anything like that. So it would be massively unfair on him. But, and maybe I'm a traditionalist for this. You don't drop the belts and spit on them. You just don't do that. After you spend so long talking to us about how important it was for you to be a champion, how you wanted to be spoken of in the same discussion of those guys that you were rubbishing, Rocky Marciano, Mike Tyson. Okay, you're not a 12 round fighter, but why are you rubbishing those guys for being 12 round, 15 round fighters even? Why wasn't that your aspiration? All of this stuff is starting to catch up now and, and I don't know how to feel because part of me says, understand the feelings, massively disagree with where you express them, but he, he's human. And, and if you've seen the video of Joshua leaving the ring, there's a point where he's just about to exit the arena. Well, that part of the arena. And you can see he's got, his, he's got his hands on his head and it's just dawned on him that all the contract clauses that are linked to him being successful, that are linked to him having those belts. And that's one of the reasons they held on to the belts when they could have fought Gaza Wilder. All of those things that contribute to that 11 million he gets in endorsements, I have a feeling that they get, I want to say they become pro rata. So there's a championship payment and there's a non-championship payment. And Josh has just realized he's on that non-championship money. But it, I'm going to put it this way. That was a moment on Saturday night against Alexander Usyk in that second fight where every chicken from every egg that Joshua and his whole crew have laid came home to rest. So it's hard to feel sorry when this is exactly what you wanted. You created a reality for yourself. Emperor's new clothes. You let people tell you all of this stuff. When everyone's been saying for a while, maybe you haven't got the right setup. So we're right back where we were three and a bit years ago after Ruiz, where we're saying, where the hell did this go wrong? Another defeat to another small heavyweight. And not a guy that we would have said was a killer in the division. And we still don't believe Usyk's a killer. Paradoxically, I don't think we know how good Usyk is still because we're really measuring him against a shop Wanchasora and a Joshua who's never been as good as we've been led to believe. So let's just start practically. Where, where did this go wrong for him? And I've said this before and I'll say it again. When you have the wrong people around you, you're always going to get the wrong outcomes. And you've got to mention some names and ask questions. Angel Fernandez. Whether Angel Fernandez is a good coach or not, I'm not here to judge that. Whether he's the right coach for Joshua, I think we can discuss. And here's the logic. When Angel Fernandez was brought in by Joshua, kind of up until Ruiz and then after Ruiz won, it was to make Joshua a better boxer, more fluid, better able to move, right? Give Joshua the skills that he felt he was lacking. Okay, Let's assume that was right because it, it worked in the rematch and they lived off that, right? So I have no issue at this point. But when you decide to then do a 180 and say, I don't want any of those skills. This is about brute force. I mean, this is that blunt force trauma, as I say in Rocky Balboa. When you say that, what role does Angel Fernandez perform? It's not his style. And it's not his style to the point where you brought Roberto Garcia in to give you that style. So what role did Angel Fernandez have? Because ideologically, this isn't what Angel believes in. And like I said before, it's not me saying Angel's a bad trainer. That's not my place. It's me saying, what was his role? It definitely wasn't to make Femi that killer on the inside because that's not what he teaches. You can see that with Richard Riakpo. So what was it? And then you look at Roberto Garcia. What were you brought in to do? Because for me, if you're bringing in Roberto Garcia, there are a couple of key combinations I want to see. One of them is going from the jab to the left uppercut, which is definitely a Latin American trait. The second one is going from a, a right hook to right uppercut or from a right uppercut to a straight right. But being able to double up on those hands are traits that I thought I'd be seeing in a Roberto Garcia fighter. 
We didn't see any of that. So what was he brought in for? What we ended up seeing against Usyk was a McCracken performance. So why did you get rid of McCracken? Maybe McCracken understood all along you couldn't do all this other stuff that you thought you could do. Maybe it's time to just go, right, I'm going back to what worked. Me and Rob McCracken, none of these other trainers, because they haven't added anything. They haven't added a thing. And one of the things Joshua's been saying is, I've got to get better. And you're like, you're nearly 33 years old. Ali didn't get any better at 33. Larry Holmes didn't get any better at 33. Joe Frazier didn't get better at 33. Nor did any, no one gets better at 33. Joshua's peaked. And someone's got to have that conversation with him that says, mate, you've peaked. Now we're just managing what we've got. But one of the things that needs to happen is all of those trainers need to go. All of them need to go. It's clear that Joshua can't do anything without McCracken. Get McCracken back. Go back to what worked before. Yeah? Just go back to what worked before. Ride it out with McCracken. And then look at all that other stuff. So the root cause of that is you don't have boxing people. And you can be as loyal to your people as you want. Yeah, I want to help my man KD. That KD has been the biggest disaster. Because he's meant to be going out getting aspiring partners. He's meant to be going out finding these trainers. And he's meant to be going out doing all of these things. This is an absolute disaster. If I'm Ben Whittaker, I'm like, I don't want any of you guys interfering in my training. Because you guys are absolutely clueless when it comes to training. Joshua needs to have that courage to get rid of KD and let McCracken just control all of this now. This is damage limitation. That KD, the only one who, who, who has a place for life without question is Benga. Why doesn't Benga get to run the boxing operation? After all, he's the guy that understands the game. Benga was the one who had the class. He got Joshua out the ring. He got Joshua back in the ring. You know, admittedly, he didn't do much when Joshua grabbed the microphone. But did you notice how many people had Joshua T-shirts on and did nothing? Nothing. And I speak as a guy who's been in those similar situations, but not at the pro level. When a kid's lost a fight and he stormed out the ring. I can't tell you what it's like for everybody. But in those situations, I'll take the kid to the changing room, right? And we'll have a chat. Okay, look, you've got to go back out there right? Because this is, this is just a part of the game. I know we didn't sign up for this, but as long as we're part of the sport, it's the path of least resistance. And so you take the kid out when he's had a little moan or he's kicked something, he's thrown something, he's vented, it's out of his system. He comes out, shakes hands, gets his trophy and we're done, right? But he will only listen to the people in his corner. She will only listen to the people in her corner. Where was Angel Fernandez telling Joshua to stop being an idiot? Where was Eddie saying, Joshua, what the hell are you doing? Where were all of these people that supposedly Joshua trusts? Say, mate, you're sabotaging everything we've worked hard to build here. Stop. Where were those people? Where was Barry Hearn? Although I understand that Barry's an old man. You don't want him rushing into the ring. Where was the control around Joshua? Where was that ring of steel that was needed? Because don't forget, he kicked off in the tunnel, on the way back to the change room. I can't remember what trainer he kicked off at, but he was, he was raging. Even when he was signing autographs, he looked angry. He looked, he looked like he just flipped. But this is down to having all of these sort of people around you who, who are just there for the payday. They're there to get that Joshua money. They're there to get that Joshua kudos. All of those guys, skins. We don't see these guys anymore. Skins. The guy that did the, uh, what were those nights out called? And you see guys like Okoli there, but they wouldn't let dark-skinned black women in. They only let light-skinned black women in. You know, all of these things Joshua's been associated with because people just want to be around him for the money. And there was no one around him going, mate, we've got to have a real conversation about your expectations and what you can achieve. Because that would have solved a lot of problems. That whole Joshua setup is rotten, is rotten. You had him walking out. Remember this, he walked out, 
Eddie was on one side. Freddie Cunningham was there. Benga was there. None of these people were like, Josh, calm down, mate. None of them. And then Eddie's in the press conferences criticizing fans for being upset at what they saw. How many parents had kids up watching that? And you're like, oh, my son's got to see this? My daughter's got to see that? Eddie's a father. He, what, he wants to see that? And he's out there calling people dickheads. This is the problem. I'm going to come on to this, but let's talk about this team Joshua. Uh, there's no I and we and all this stupid rubbish that was cool when you were holding the belts hostage. But as soon as you get spanked twice in a row, now you realize how empty all of this sounded. So Joshua's got a clean house on that. You don't need all of these people. You don't. And I feel sorry for Joshua in this sense because he's literally, he, like it's the emperor's new clothes. People were telling him this stuff was working. It was never working. He could have gone and trained with Don Charles. He would have had the same outcome. He could have gone and trained with Donald Smith. It would have been the same outcome. But he would have performed better. I could have trained him. He would have performed better. There's only so much you can extract from physicality. The rest is mental. And Saturday night showed Joshua is as fragile mentally as anybody. And I know no one's going to talk about this, but we've got to start now looking at the, where the breadcrumbs were, right? Those uni students clearly were the, <laughs> they were the precursors to this. When, when a world champion as an Anthony Joshua has to go into a student's house, take the shoes off, and like he did, like he did on Saturday night, have to pretend that he's this big, hard man from the Meridian Estate in Watford, the scariest estate in Britain. <laughs> yeah, right. When he had to go and pretend to those guys that he was some big, tough guy that could get them snatched out or killed or whatever, that seemed like a bit of a weird thing to do to a bunch of university students, right? He could have sent someone else in there to handle that. But that still that's just screams of a guy who wants acceptance, who wants people to fear him without earning the right to be feared. This is all bully behavior. Maybe those university students are the ones that derailed this whole camp by just exposing the truth about him. But we've seen all of these things. We saw it with Dominic Brazil. We saw it with the delusion when he refused to believe that Ruiz was better than him, that it had to be a punch from the gods and all of this stuff. And it's always enabled by one man. One man that all of you guys listened to when I told you you just need to X this man out of your life and it's Eddie Hearn. Because what happens? Joshua does something stupid and Eddie goes, well, in the context of XYZ, it's not stupid. And if you think it's stupid, then you're the problem, not him. And this happens repeatedly. When Joshua had the picture of him praying and he's never deleted that off his Twitter, by the way, it's still there. And Eddie was like, ah, oh, you know, he likes to experiment with different faiths. Well, we saw last night when he said, Bismillah, he's letting you know he sides with the Muslims. So what are the fans going to say now? How is Eddie going to walk that back? They're staying very quiet about some of the incendiary things that he said. But what you can't do, and this is why it's important we keep these videos alive, we need to remind Eddie Hearn this is, this is the animal he created. And all Eddie's done is suck off the blood of this. And people say, oh, Joshua's the guy that brought boxing back. I'm like, oh, no, that was George Groves. If I recall correctly, George and Carl Froch sold out Wembley way before Joshua did. Right? What's that, three years before Joshua did? So what Joshua did was incremental. But Froch and Groves went from like the O2 arena to Wembley. That's a fourfold increase. So Joshua didn't do that. So all this idea that Joshua brought boxing back, no, he didn't. He didn't bring boxing back. You know what I mean? George and Carl brought boxing back. And it's a moment we've been trying to recreate ever since. And we might get there with Conor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr. And that'll be another time we bring boxing back. 
So when you hear Eddie say all of these things, oh, you, you don't understand all the work he does in his community, all the work he does for charity, we kind of says stuff that we don't know. So it's all well and good him being secret and being humble about things, as he likes to say. But if we don't know about it, we can't give it value. It's as simple as that. If we knew that he was, I mean, funding orphanages in Romania, we might feel differently about Joshua. But if you're not going to tell us, then it's not relevant to us. It's as simple as that. You know, so where you, where you end that evening, is you that, that sight of Joshua in tears at the press conference, it was a very human moment and a moment that we've all known was coming. Because it's like, how long can you live in your own delusion before the penny drops? But then Eddie, once again, Eddie can't help himself. Eddie goes into full girlfriend mode again. That's what it is. It's girlfriend mode. I've got to stick up for my man here. <sighs> and embarrasses himself. What should have happened is Josh should have come out, answered three questions, and it should have just taken him back to London. That's it. Right? Because what Anthony Joshua needs right now is to stop boxing. Not forever, but for the next three to six months, Joshua needs to do nothing but be a dad, be a son, be a friend, be an uncle, be a nephew, be a boxing fan, be a football fan, do some TV shows. He just needs to be Oluwafemi again. Maybe he needs to spend time with his pops. I mean living the rest of life or whatever it is he was doing before. Maybe he just needs to be around people who will keep him centered and remind him who he really is. Because I stand by this. Anthony Joshua's a six foot six guy with a four foot ten guy's mentality. Which is often the case. The biggest guys are rarely the toughest guys. It's something Usyk said in his press I found interesting. He said after round eight, he could see in Joshua's eyes that Joshua thought he was winning. And Usyk was like, oh, I need to do something about that. And that's when Usyk upped his intensity as well. And this is what I mean. Like Usyk's a guy who worked his way up the ladder. It's a different mindset when you've always been the smaller guy, the underdog, versus a guy who's always been a giant. Don't forget, Joshua had all those county records when he was at school. Yeah? Always the top athlete. Always the biggest kid in school. Always the guy that could handle himself in a fight. He was never a gangster in Watford. Doesn't have a rep in Watford. Not as a street fighter, not as a gangster. He doesn't have a rep. If he does, find someone that vouches for it. That hasn't been paid off. No one. No one's ever seen the mother of his kids since he bought her the house in Finchley. We don't see anything. There's too much that happens with Joshua where I don't think he's upset that he lost. He's upset that he can't control everything. That's the feeling I get. I get the feeling that Joshua gets upset and he gets angry when he can't control variables, when he can't control what people say, what people think, what people feel. Then he gets upset and he throws his toys out the pram like a child. That's the impression I got from all of this. This felt like a child. You know, people are going to talk about mental health. This wasn't mental health. This was like... If you've ever been at like an under 10s game, rugby, football, doesn't matter. You know when like the team gets spanked and there's that one kid who really wants to win and his team just don't want to win. And he comes off the pitch, storms off and he's crying. That's what, that's what Joshua looked like. That's exactly what he looked like. You know, and people are going to go, oh, and, and Eddie did this, right? Eddie was like, oh, you know, because he, he pulled up Tyson Fury on this. He goes, Tyson Fury's criticizing Joshua and Usyk. Yeah, but here's a guy who supposedly had mental health problems. That's what he said. And here he is piling in on Joshua. And it's like, no, Tyson Fury is the third part of this triangle. He saw a fight between two of them and he said he could beat both of them in the same night. He didn't say anything about Joshua's mental health. In fact, I don't think he even addressed that. He just said, I will spank both of you. And then afterwards he said, send me the check. I mean, I will fight these guys. So for Eddie to try and turn this into something about mental health, I thought was embarrassing. But once again, you know when you're in girlfriend mode, you'll say anything for effect. But here's where I am going to feel sorry for Anthony Joshua. I don't think he's had the control of his life that he'd like to have. I don't think he wants to do all these sponsor engagements. I don't think he wants to do all of this stuff. I don't think he's ever wanted to do all of this stuff. But he finds himself in a position where he has to. And like I said, the petulance kicks in. 
What we can say about Anthony Joshua is he's been the golden boy of British boxing for a decade. And in that decade, he's barely put a foot wrong publicly. Let's be clear about this. Yes, he's been a hypocrite claiming to live in his mother's council house when he's getting a £100,000 kitchen done. You know, that sort of hypocrisy doesn't sit well with fans. The whole pretending that his watch didn't get stolen in Battersea. That's another thing the fans don't quite like. There are all these things where there's a lack of transparency, where we don't trust him. But he has been the golden boy for the sport. He's been the, the lightning rod. And everyone has done good numbers off Joshua. Everyone's done good numbers off Joshua. And he deserves credit for that because that's him. And through him, guys like Chisora have carried on their careers. Guys like Bell, you could have carried on their careers. It gave us a chance to see the revival of David Hay. Like he brought David Hay out of retirement. And we've got to now look and go, maybe if Hay hadn't dicked around with Demore and those sorts of guys, he might have had a chance against Joshua. Not saying he would have done, but he might have had a chance against Joshua for one of those belts. But timing's everything. But for a decade, Joshua was the golden boy. Even when he lost, he was still the golden boy because sponsors loved him, broadcasters loved him. He showed up for everything he was asked to do. This guy fronted up. A lot of boxers get self-indulgent, but he fronted up. He never flipped over tables like Chisora did. He never kissed anyone. He never spat water at anyone. He, he did what he had to do. And after fights, he was gracious in defeat. Never see Joshua out of shape. Never see him out of condition. Doesn't seem to take time off the gym, although I'd recommend that he does. It'd be good for him. All of these things you see with, with Joshua. And so these are good traits. These are things we want to see more of. The man always made fight dates. You know, when Vlad couldn't do it and Pulev couldn't do it, still found the fight date, fight date with Takam. He fights on dates and he shows up. This is Anthony Joshua. He is, he's really, really professional. But what price was that? Is that who he really is? And the reason I say that is when you look at footballers, so I've got friends who are lawyers in the football world. And they talk about guys like Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar being nightmares to deal with behind the scenes. They're petulant. They'll sulk and not come into training. They'll, they'll do all of these things. And it's tolerated because they perform at such a high level. What you can't be is you can't be rubbish and deliver at that level. People will soon ignore you. You know, you'll, you'll get moved on, you'll get bounced on. That's why Messi has so much control at Barcelona because if Messi didn't train, you're like, we might not win. So whatever coach it was, they had to do everything they could to keep Messi happy. Josh is not at that level. In terms of visibility, he is. Commercially, maybe he is. But in terms of a guy who, who holds the heart of his people in the hand, nah, he doesn't. And even in his presser, you had this whole swinging from, you know, I wanted Britain to love me. I did this for my country. And then just hating the people who are in this country for the fact that they criticize him. Maybe you're not giving the fans what they want, Joshua. We wanted Wilder. We wanted fury. You told us these things were done. Why weren't they done? You could have made them happen any way you wanted. So here are, the, here are the situations you end up with and you ask yourself, who was in Joshua's ear going, mate, this is just going to get super messy for you and this may all come crashing down after one bad result. This is exactly why every boxer needs someone not connected to their team that they can call up and go, mate, I need help. I need to know what you're thinking. You need that. Um, I have people who will call me like that, 100%. But you need that. And here's why you need that. So many things can happen to you. You know, think about Anthony Joshua. Every word he says is scrutinized. Everything he does. He does an IFL interview in Dubai with Coogan. We crucify it. What's this triangle? You got price, you got quality, you got time. I want respect, I want money, I want legacy. You know, he's, he's, he's not, I mean, he's ending up in a Penrose triangle, tying himself up in knots because he's trying to be smarter than he is. So when people say to me, do I believe Josh is a fighter 100%? Do I believe he's selective in the times that he is a fighter? Yeah. Anyone that doesn't stand up to him is a good target for him. As soon as someone stands up to him, he doesn't want it. 
because you'll see the petulant child come out in him again. And this is what happens with a lot of big guys who haven't had to come through a struggle. What motivates Joshua? We know Deontay Wilder boxed so his kid could have health care. Right? Usyk boxed because he's always boxed and he's done it for the pride of his country. There are deep-seated things that aren't intrinsic that drive people to the top. I'm sure it's the same with Fury. But with Joshua, it's like, what drives you? He talks about stuff like legacy and this and that, but they're all, they're all intrinsic. And at some point, they start to dim and dull because life gets in the way. Who's there with Joshua talking him through, going, look, you've got to understand who you are, why you're doing these things. Anthony Joshua is not a, he's not a tough guy amongst tough guys, if that makes sense. So what's an example of this? You know when they do the Boxing Hall of Fame and they do these photographs, in that photograph you'll have um, Larry Holmes, you'll have Riddick Bowe, Evander Holyfield, Ray Mercer, Lennox Lewis. You might have David Tour in there, you'll have Mike Tyson. And you're looking at that list going, those guys still look like they could do damage now. And you know if their bodies would allow them, they'd be straight back in that ring. Joshua has never given off that kind of energy. Joshua looks like a footballer who boxes. Whereas with Lennox, I can't imagine Lennox doing anything other than box. I can't imagine Riddick doing anything other than box. I can't imagine Evander doing anything other than box. The same with Mike Tyson. I can imagine Joshua doing everything else except box. If there was no money in boxing, do you think Joshua would still be boxing now? No, he wouldn't. He'd be playing rugby, he'd be playing football. Whatever was paying him the most money is where Joshua would be. That's not a bad thing. But you can't be on this, I'm a fighting man. Like, you can't be. Because other people have proven it. Fury's proven it. Carl Froch has proven it. That's what fighting men are. And measured by those standards, Joshua falls short. Usyk doesn't, but Joshua does. And that, that's not a bad thing if you can make your peace with it. But you can't keep telling the world you belong in their club when you don't. And they know you don't. That's a rare club that you get admitted into. So, so someone will ask me, do you think David Hayes in that club? Hell yeah. Guy broke his Achilles tendon and still tried to bang out. He's of that club. Joshua isn't. Chisora is of that club. Many others aren't. That's a rare club. A club that just says, I would do this for pennies. I don't have to, but I would do. And the harsh reality is, on Saturday night, we realise Anthony Joshua doesn't belong there. He doesn't. And he can cry and he can be a child about it as much as he wants. And he was, he was being petulant. And someone should have slapped him and said, listen, pull yourself together. But that was all a reflection of the fact that he realized he doesn't get past that velvet rope of greatness. Not in anyone's estimation. Good heavyweight, yes. We're not opening up that rope to greatness for Anthony Joshua. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. And when people say, why? Think about this. You fought an old Vlad who was coming off a loss to Fury in like 18 to 20 months just paddleboarding. Then you fought Takam, career sparring partner. Then you fought Parker. Parker's still a stepping stone. Always was, always will be a stepping stone for other people to go elsewhere. Then you fought Povetkin. And Povetkin was old then. And Povetkin hadn't really... I mean, he's not a world beater. No matter what, I mean, no matter what the commentators tell you, he's not a world beater. And then you go one-on-one -one with Ruiz. Then you fight Pulev, who's shop-worn, and didn't have a meaningful fight after that. And then two defeats to Usyk. The road back is so far for Anthony Joshua right now. Based on his record right now, you might put him in the top 10 of governing bodies, but he's not top five because he has to earn that again. Three defeats and five fights, he's got to earn that again. Now you've got to fight guys like Yoka. You've got to fight guys like maybe like a Hellenius, maybe a Luis Ortiz, but you're catching them at the right time at least. You may as well call out Hergovic immediately. 
because you definitely won't call out Dubois and Joe Joyce because you know what they'll do to you. So all of this stuff, you know, and that's the, that's the next question someone's going to ask. What does Joshua do next? Like I said earlier, I think he just takes six months off. I would. I just fall in love. With, he just needs to fall in love with himself again and his life and his family. He just needs to reset. What I'd like him to do, if I'm being honest, I'd like him to buy a warehouse, somewhere like Neasden, Wembley, I don't care where it is, Northolt, Greenford, Ealing, wherever you want to have this, this thing that's near enough to your house that you can make it happen, maybe Edmonton. Get a warehouse, put three or four rings in there, put some bags in there, put some training equipment in there. Ban all trainers apart from two. You choose what two they are. And every day, the heavyweights and cruiserweights come there to work. And Joshua can just jump in and out of that. You know, no phones, no cameras, no nothing. Just fall back in love with being around your peers again. Maybe you will learn more that way than you will with these overly structured training programs. Because when you have so much structure, all it takes is one element to be wrong and the whole thing is wrong. And we're finding this out with Joshua. It just takes a couple of things to be off and it's all done. If you just put Joshua in the lion's den and said, mate, almost like Rocky Three, Was it Rocky Three? Yeah, like Rocky Three. Just put him in amongst young, hungry guys like Jamie Shakiva. Put him amongst hungry guys like David Adelaide. Even like a Huey Fury. Put him in with guys like Delicious or Courtney Bennett. Put him in with guys like that. Uh, Fabio Wardley, Nathan Gorman. Let him be around those guys. Some days you have good days, some days you have bad days, but you're learning about yourself and your mechanics and what works best for you. And you can just get comfortable in your style. Fall back in love with the game. Just be around people who love you. Just do that. Stop trying to be this big commercial juggernaut all the damn time, and It's draining. It's draining. And like I said, that pressure, even Floyd's cracked before. It's too much. And someone needed to tell Anthony Joshua, the more you give the people who eat off you, the more they'll take. And they will bleed you until there's nothing left. And then when you're done, it's on to the next one. And people will just be like, oh, don't you remember Anthony Joshua? Yeah, he was all right for a bit. And you'll just be sat there in Watford and people buying you pints and the Weatherspoons going, mate, yeah, you did all right in your time. Well done, mate. I don't want him to go out like that. I've said a lot of things about Joshua. There's a lot of stuff I don't like and I don't agree. But at his core, Anthony Joshua is a guy who defied the odds. That's a fact. That's a guy who defied the odds and in doing so has been crucified. He was crucified for saying black people should help support black businesses, which I thought was one of the most disgusting takes by the boxing public I've ever heard in my life because these are the same people who say you've always got to back the Brit. We've got to look after our own. We've got to back our own. And that's all Joshua was saying. And all of a sudden, people had an issue with it. Everything he says is scrutinized. I think about the pressure that gives. You can't even say a thing without people jumping down your throat. So I feel for Joshua because he, he did. He, he broke through. Now, not only did he break through, but he put money back into Watford and this was visible and he was there talking about his community. He does a lot, man. He does a lot. Yes, he's uncouth and he's basic and, you know, he is a bit of a simpleton in many ways and he's found himself in a world that he's not equipped to cope with. Yes. Yes, he should have found people who could help guide him through. Yes, he needed a mentor who wasn't his girlfriend like Eddie Hearn is trying to be. Yes, he needed guidance. And yes, he needed the fans to be more sympathetic. He needed all of these things. But it was up to him to make that happen. We can't help when we don't know where help is needed. So that outburst, that very childish outburst, and it was childish. The only problem is there's a six foot six, 17 stone guy throwing his toys out the pram. So it looks a bit more intimidating than it is. Shrink him down to four foot ten and a half, and what happens? It's just funny. It's a meme. And it's the same with dogs. I've learned this about dogs, and I, I'm not really a big fan of dogs. 
but big dogs and little dogs act the same. It's just that the, the degree of danger changes as the dog gets bigger. But if you can understand the psychology of a small dog, you can understand the psychology of a big dog. And it's like this. What you saw with Joshua, every parent can relate to that. Except not with a six foot six, 17 stone guy. That's, that's somebody who couldn't cope with the responsibility on their shoulders. He's not the first, he's not the last. I'd like to see Joshua come back. I don't want him to retire. I don't think boxing should let him retire because boxing is about redemption. And if he can come back and pull all those bells back together again, we might lift up that rope for greatness. He might make it through. But what a task that's going to be. Yeah, what a task that's going to be. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have any of the right elements. Maybe the wrong promoter, maybe the wrong training team, maybe the wrong training environment. All of that stuff ain't working for you. It's a full reboot. I'd help with that, but I don't think my voice is needed in this. I think today I've said enough. But here's what I will say. If you don't have the strength of character to hold yourself together until you're in a private moment to vent your private pain, elite level sport might not be for you. And on that note, I'll sign off. Um, I don't know if I'm going to cover this again. It's an ongoing story, so let's see what happens with the story over time. But, wow, I feel like I've just taught myself to death. And on that note, I will sign off and say, listen, man, happy St. Usyk's Day to everybody and take care. Mm -hmm.